Hello, 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 and welcome. This is the Real Football Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny, aka the fourth, and let's get into it. On today's episode, we're gonna start off with the biggest game in the world of football. There is no game like it. The the Titanic clash between the absolute titans i believe the two biggest clubs on this planet barcelona versus real madrid also known as el clasico now getting right into the clasico this was the first leg of the copa del rey semi-finals which means that whoever wins this game has a magnificent opportunity to go on and pick up the cup trophy this is barcelona's competition as much as real madrid runs the show in the league they run the show in the champions league in pretty much everything else, Barcelona really, really run the Copa del Rey. I think they've won it over 30 times, something like at least 10 more than Real Madrid. It's ridiculous. Madrid's overall success in this competition is is just wildly not aligned with what they usually do in everything else. They've got clean over 30 La Liga titles. They have by far the most Champions Leagues. We we know them, the biggest club in the planet. But when it comes to the Copa del Rey, for some reason, they're just terrible at it. They're terrible with it. I think they've only won something like two or three in the past 20 years or so. And going into this game, Lewandowski out. Dembele, Usman, who, who he has been a fantastic feature on that right wing sometimes on the left wing for Barcelona this season he was an absolute menace especially before the World Cup fantastic he was showing why Barca played a metric fuck ton for him and he's been out but I think their most important player is Pedri and this kid Pedri I Barca look a, a completely different team without him. Uh, just to ring off a quick little couple stats here because I could not believe it. Not only has he been a, a full, full-fledged starter within the Barca team since I think 2021 that season, since he's been like 17 years old, he's the main guy. He's the main guy. He makes them tick. Uh, anytime you watch Barca, it's him and Gavi linking up to create opportunities on opportunities on opportunities. He's almost a little bit more attacking than Chevy. Chevy never really got all the way involved in the final third. Pedri is a little bit opposite to that. He gets involved in the final third, so you'll see him scoring goals from time to time. He's not uh, Frank Lampard or anything. I don't think he'll really end up scoring 20 in a season, but he gets involved there. And... The difference that Barca have with and without him is ridiculous. So just to ring off a few stats, he's played 104 games. He's been out, so unavailable for Barca for 39 games. In The, the main difference is the number of goals scored. So Barca score about 1.5. They average 1.5 goals per game with him. They average 0.46 without him. So that's an entire goal per game. Every game that Pedri's not in the team, Barca, like Barca lose a goal. They are way down on shots on goal. They're way down on chances, way down on through balls, way, way down on touches in the box. When he's in the team, they have 25-ish touches in the box. When he's not in the team, they have about 10. So he is the guy who makes them tick. And it's kind of wild considering how young he is. 
that he is the main man. That is Pedri's boss, it seems. I, I don't think we can call it Lewandowski's. I don't think we can call it um, anyone else's, Frankie de Jong. Any, no one else really lays claim to that team other than Pedri. Pedri was out. So those are three of Boss's four top goal scorers this season out. They're going to the Bernabeu. They come from the weekend. They lost to Almeria, a very, very poor loss by the standards, 1-0. They had been rolling in the league. Real Madrid had drawn and dropped points up against Atletico in the Madrid derby. So Barca had the opportunity to go 10 points clear at the top and really, really get away from this uh, Madrid team who... I'll get into Madrid in a second and then I'll get into the game because the game in and of itself, it wasn't, there wasn't too much to talk about. It wasn't a great game, but the narratives are really what's going, what's going on here. This Barca team, they don't make any sense. So the fact that they're in the league, they've only conceded eight goals, including this Almeria game. They've only conceded eight goals. Now they are, it's, it's a Jekyll and Hyde situation here 110 percent because once they get into europe and this has continued on for a couple of seasons at this point they are atrocious in europe especially when they play against teams from the top five leagues i'll rattle these off (laughs) some of these results are ridiculous and then contrast that to what they're doing in la liga and domestically and then just to, to give a, a lot more context in terms of how in the fuck did they get this result up against this Real Madrid team, I don't understand. Now, just to rattle off some of the results since 2021 group stage in the Champions League, they lost 3-0 at home to Juventus. They lost 4-1 at home to PSG. They lost 3-0 against Bayern. They lost 3-0 against Bayern. They've lost 3-0 against Bayern. They've lost 2-0 against Bayern. <laughs> Bayern Munich have turned Barcelona five-time Champions League winners with the greatest player of all time. The second Messi left, they turned them right into Arsenal. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Bayern seems to always pick on one of the big, big teams. It was Arsenal for a clean decade there, and they've they've turned Barcelona into <laughs> into them. I mean, since the 8-2, since the absolute dismantling of the tiki-taka era of football uh, in the when they beat Barcelona, I believe it was 7-0 over two legs. Uh, Thomas Muller was f- unreal in those games. That was when it was prime uh, robbery, Frank Ribery and Iron Robin running riot against Barcelona since that 2013 season. Bayern Munich have just been destroying Barcelona every single time. 8-2 being the absolute highlight, but they've beaten them on average 11-0 in the past four games that they've played against them. Bayern Munich must scare the absolute shit out of every single Barca fan on the planet. It's ridiculous. Bayern Munich, they're already dead. Come on. Jeez. Uh, Continuing on, so they lost against United in the Europa League. They lost against Inter. They drew against Inter at home. They lost against Frankfurt in the Europa League last season. The only win that they've had in 15 games against teams in the top five leagues in Europe was against Napoli last season. What? What the? Now, how? Where do you see that, okay, this Barcelona team 
who have conceded four goals up against uh, Man United in two games somehow have only conceded double that in the league this season so far ridiculous it doesn't make any sense Xavi I don't know what he is doing but for some reason when they're playing in Spain they spank motherfuckers it's wild it's wild um however their sheen of invincibility did get did get a a, a nice little stain on it um when they did lose against Almeria on the weekend that was I believe they haven't lost very many games at all in in La Liga and so right now they are seven points clear I believe of Real Madrid uh, considering Madrid did get gain a point on them even though they they they've been pretty poor Liverpool results aside but going into this game Barca are down three of their superstar players three superstars I mean Lewandowski's in Ballon d'Or level for a very very long time and Madrid dominated the early exchanges of the game Barca pretty much just sat in they played an Atletico style of football breaking the game up frustrating Madrid a very un-Barcelona like very un-Barcelona DNA type strange strange game um to watch it wasn't a very entertaining one because i mean considering i understand that considering you are missing a lot of attacking firepower ferran torres didn't look the part rafinha i've been on his case for a couple months at this point he's not doing the business up front and sufati it doesn't seem like he he's been able to rediscover that form that made him one of the tip top wonder kids on the planet a couple years ago before those terrible terrible injuries that he's had, and so I, I get why Barca played really conservative, just try and hold on to what they could. They were lucky enough that Kamavinga had a terrible terrible mistake, and you know Kamavinga's been phenomenal every time I've seen him play he had to start today Germany I don't think he's fully up to speed just yet he did come off the bench later on in the second half but Kamavinga made a very very poor poor error Kessie who, who's I mean every time he I believe he was their best player against Man United uh, in the Europa League last week very very good player and he pounces on that mistake he drives forward he takes the shot Courtois saves it but then it ricochets off Eder Militao 1-0 and now Barca have something to hold on to and they pulled out their prime Diego Simeone selves I've never seen Barcelona do this I would never imagine maybe under a Ronald Koeman or some other manager maybe to be so pragmatic but Xavi said listen guys just fucking defend frustrate this Madrid team because when a team is it can control the game and defend quite well this Madrid team have looked very very poor against them um and yes that is a double sword a, a double a double-sided comment there kicking my Liverpool team while, while I guess they aren't down I will discuss what's been happening with them recently but it, it kind of goes to show and it's a very frustrating thing to see as a Liverpool supporter because this Madrid team are extremely vulnerable. As we saw in this game, this Barcelona team on paper should have lost at least by two goals. Vinicius was in the game. Benzema was in the game. Modric, Cruz, uh, Valverde was in the game. I, I believe Rodrigo came off the bench. So they were essentially full strength, except David Alaba and Ferland Mendy were out. 
everywhere else they were full strength so you really really do expect a madrid team to go there at home and handle their business they did not they did not get a single shot on target i believe they had 23 attempts 23 attempts not one on target that was an absolute shocker from Real Madrid, uh, up against their eternal rivals, the only club that really, really gets under their skin, Barcelona. Shocking performance. And going back to the <laughs> why it's so frustrating as a Liverpool supporter, because once you're up 2-0 up against this Madrid team, you just need to control the game. Control the game, defend, and don't don't give the game away. I believe that that was our biggest problem. Just stupid, stupid mistakes over and over and over again. And you look up and boom, the score's 4-2. And next thing you know, Modric is bursting through the midfield to make it 5-2 and really kill off the tie. Just ridiculous stuff. I might be bitter about that game for a long time considering how poorly Madrid are doing in general. They couldn't get any, they, they could barely get anything against Atletico who aren't aren't that great this season anyways. And we just saw a, a substandard Barcelona team handle them. And so, when will our curse against Madrid ever end? Who knows if it will ever end. Um, but yes, Barcelona managed to hold on to that 1-0 lead right the way through the second half. Madrid didn't really pose enough of a significant threat to to claw the game back in their favor. At home, the Bernabeu, it's a semi-final. If you, if you win this one, you handle business in the second leg. You have a clear shot at another trophy. But Madrid just seemed to buckle in the Copa del Rey. And Barcelona seemed to be uber clutch in this competition. I don't get it. This is a Barcelona team who got embarrassed in Europe this season. Yet somehow, someway, they're running the show in Spain. Madrid, who look really terrible in Spain. But they, they're real fucking Madrid when it comes to Europe doesn't make sense these are the quirks and curiosities that come along with the beautiful game at the end of the day and moving on to another completely different country different title fight different competition league format we're talking about bvb that's dortmund up against leipzig red bull leipzig very very interesting game this one um title implications up to your ears it's been an extremely close title fight at the top i believe bayern are starting to really really get going they've won a couple games in a row um and they have and by far for me the most important thing every time i speak about bayern i've spoken about how chipo Moting is not sadio money he's not the guy when when clutch situations when you need someone to put the ball in the back of the net they had Lewandowski for a very long time and he would do that time and time again when the going got tough in the bundesliga at times even in the champions league he would come through with the goals Chippo Martin is not that guy. He, he just isn't that guy. We saw against PSG, Bayern, he had a couple, I think, two really, really good opportunities to really kill off the tie. 
now they have Kylian Mbappe, a fit Kylian Mbappe, a scoring Messi coming back to the Allianz Arena in a couple, I believe next week actually. And that's going to be a problem for them. However, Sadio Mane is back. He did feature a little bit in their most recent game against Union Berlin. They kind of really, really showed the golfing class between a team that is going straight up on momentum and it's their first time in this sort of situation and they're just happy to be here versus the team who has won the title 10 times in a row. It, 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 the golfing class was was visible. Um, Union Berlin did not stand a chance, to be 100% honest. They could not lay a glove on that Bayern Munich team on that day at home. It, was, it, it, it wasn't even super fun to watch. Um, and so... With that in mind, Dortmund had to show up in this game. They had to handle it. They had to win it, get the three points, make sure that, okay, sweet, we win this game. We get our three points on Friday against a title rival in Leipzig. I have zero faith in Leipzig to actually go the distance in a title race at this moment in time. To then put the pressure back on Bayern because Bayern need to win the game to level points and then they have a massive, massive De Classiqueur coming up on April 1st once the international break is over. That is going to be a massive game. This Dortmund team are flying as well. They've won every single Bundesliga game in the new year. They've won 10 games in a row in all competitions, eight wins in a row in the Bundesliga. So they are really, really grinding those games out. They're winning great games. They they won a game a couple weeks ago, 4-3. They started this game really well uh Nkunku was back but he's he's a little bit rusty he's not at his at his he's not at 100 percent, and so he had a couple early snatch chances that's okay cool showing the threat showing that this guy will get in those sorts of positions he's a world-class player in my opinion what he did last season was ridiculous and he's had a long injury layoff he missed the world cup and once he's back up to speed leipzig will probably quite comfortably finish top four but in today's game it was a little bit too early for him up against a a, a flying dortmund team who had won nine in a row before the game had started and he had those early opportunities Dortmund came came around. They they controlled the game for the most part. They had the requisite intensity to win this type of game. This this high pressure, high stakes, uh, title six pointer. They handled business. Marco Royce goes through. Keeper brings him down in a one on one. He puts home the penalty. One 0 up. A little bit later on, after sustaining a little bit of Leipzig pressure, they didn't really create much. They just had the ball a little bit more. Dortmund break are breaking forward, and they get a nice little free kick. Ball into the box. It comes out. Ricochets out. Emre Chan with a volley. I think the keeper. I mean, I've watched the replays a couple times. The keeper. It bounces. He must have seen it late. It had to be one of those where he sees it late. It bounces off of him. It looks a terrible mistake from him. But if he sees it late, I mean, what else can you do? It bounces off of him. It goes into the goal 2-0 up. At that point, you're thinking Dortmund have won nine in a row. They're in a magnificent position. Leipzig are not creating anything. 
and the game should be shut up shop. They go into halftime. Everything's looking hunky-dory over there at the Signal Iduna Park for the Schrottergelden, the the black and yellow. Uh, uh Uh-huh, you know what it is. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. Ah, and boom, they come out of the second half. They played a little bit too conservatively. Now, this is one of those things that uh, it's a saying in football that if you watch it enough, you'll hear the commentator say this time and time again, 2-0 is the most dangerous lead. Why is that the case? At 2-0, teams relax just a little bit too much. And this, I believe, Dortmund are very guilty of. Luckily enough, they kind of got away with it at the end, but... They took the press off. They let Leipzig play their way into the game. They soaked up the pressure and they looked to hit hit on the counter. Their counter attacks were really poor. Um, I think you, you've got a lot of experience out there. You've got Julian Brand, who's he's an experienced professional at this point. You've got Marco Royce, who's an absolute Dortmund legend. You've got guys like... Uh, Nicolas Sula at the back. You've got um, Emre Chan, who's quite an experienced professional. You've got a world-class player, Jude Bellingham. Please come to Liverpool. Please, please come to Liverpool, my guy. Uh, Naby Keita is leaving, so you can come take the number eight, be Gerard 2.0, and win the league five times in a row. That'd be fantastic. However, you've got a world-class player in there in the midfield. You can still play on the front foot for at least the first 15 20 minutes of the second half they decided to play conservatively they let Leipzig back into the game Leipzig mm, had a lot of possession they didn't create very much however 2-0 is the most dangerous lead why because once you once you step off the gas it's hard to just turn it back on it's not easy it doesn't work that way you can't just flip a switch and you the whole team is back up to where they were to get you into that position and Leipzig had a couple of great chances before they actually broke the deadlock for them uh Andre Silva had a one-on-one it, it was a fantastic a fantastic opportunity at a one-on-one he goes straight into the keeper and it wasn't even noble who's their first choice keeper it was the second choice keeper and he hits it straight at the keeper i think he, he i mean this guy he had a lot of hype andre silva had a lot of hype a couple years ago when he was doing ridiculous things i believe and was in the portuguese league scoring a crazy amount of goals but he hasn't really pushed on from there he had a great opportunity. He missed it. Not too long after that, uh, Marco Rosa was like, my guy, you need to get the fuck off the pitch because if we're fighting here, we're fighting for our title life, you need to come off. And he put on Yusuf Paulson. Yusuf Paulson, I also do not believe in him at all. However, he did have a little bit of a threat um, and he threw on Timo Werner who didn't start. He was feeling ill or whatever. And... Once they had that one opportunity, it kind of gave them the belief that, okay, hey, we can push on and go get a goal. Not too long after that, they Dortmund fall asleep, and this is one of those things to know is the most dangerous lead because once you're comfortable just shifting in your defensive shape, once, once the team starts to up the ante, you, you might be guilty of falling asleep there at the back, and this is what happened. The entire defensive line 
was in one place, another player was playing, two players on side, a gorgeous little chip over the top from, I believe, Rom. The cross comes in, Forsberg slots it in at the back post, and it's 2-1, now it's nervy. Now it's very nervy. Um, and from there, whew, yes, it, it got quite quite nervy for Dortmund there because Timo Werner, who had come on, like I said, uh, after being out of the starting, starting 11 due to illness, he had a, a fantastic opportunity. And this one, this is for the, one of the very few times he actually finished it very well. Great technique on, I believe it, it might have been on the volley, but it was a fantastic shot destined for the top corner. However, Schlotterbeck, uh, a very German name there, my guy, Schlotterbeck, uh, covering at the back post while his keeper was completely caught out by the fantastic finish, comes off his shoulder, off the line. Signal Iduna Park is like, whoa. Um, and are these guys going to completely mess this up? Eventually, they, they got it away. There was another opportunity off of that same corner. Leipzig really tried to swell up. They didn't have enough in the end. Dortmund win the game 2-1. They can ease themselves into the weekend. They can watch some football tomorrow and on Sunday to see what the fuck is Bayern going to do. Are they going to respond? Is Sadio Mane going to come back and score 15 goals for the rest of the season and in cement number 11 for Bayern it's going to be an interesting title race especially that game on April 1st coming back from the international break Bayern versus versus Dortmund can Dortmund please win a a title six-pointer against Bayern I mean I have a soft spot for Dortmund due to the Jurgen Klopp connection and they had a, an amazing team. I, I remember Mario Götze as a young man, Nuri Sahin in, in the mix, Lewandowski scoring four goals against Real Madrid. This was in the early 2010s in 2011, 2012, 2013. They had a fantastic team, especially Mario Götze. He was, he was an electric talent. And then Bayern just picked them apart. Jurgen Klopp came over to Liverpool, became an absolute legend. I'm never going to say no to that for obvious reasons, but I have a soft spot for Dortmund since then. I want them to win the league. I want them to stop this Bayern machine from winning an 11th title in a row. It gets boring. Um, I'm really hoping Dortmund can do it. I, I don't think they will because Bayern have the experience and they have a superstar finisher back in the team and uh, I know Serge Gnabry Kingsley Coleman Kingsley Coleman's looked pretty good in the past couple of weeks um, those guys haven't been firing so much but if if Sadio Mane comes in and starts to handle business they've got Jam- Jamal Musiala they've got Thomas Muller they've got f- fantastic players especially in terms of firepower if they can sort that defense out they'll win the league no problem if they do anything but lose to Dortmund on April 1st, they're going to win the league. Uh, I've seen this story many, many, many times before in the past 10 years. Well, 10 times in a row, to be ex- to be specific. And on to my beloved, beloved, uh, just a quick note about what is happening in England overall. Arsenal 1-4-0 against Everton. They keep rolling on. this three wins on the spin since they had their little wobble. They have taken advantage of their 
of their game in hand. So they are officially five points clear of City in the title race. Five points. I believe there's about 14, if not 13 games left to go. There's way too much time. Five points is not a big enough lead. They do have to play each other again in a couple weeks' time at the Etihad. That title race is going to be quite interesting. Spurs are not going to win Hurricane a trophy this season, clearly, obviously. <laughs> what else is new? Uh, water is wet or water makes things wet. Um, and my beloved, beloved Liverpool now have four clean sheets in a row. In the Premier League, uh, I'm going to take any positives I can. Whatever momentum they can get, I'm with it. We played against Wolves on Wednesday. Uh, it was a decent... Uh, kind of showing that, all right, this is what we can do. These are some of the things that we do still have issues with. Uh, and let's get into it. So the game started quite well. It was a bit back and forth in, in the first couple of minutes, which is, uh, I want to say, unbecoming of a Wolves team. Wolves, I've known them to be resolute, defensively compact, but that's probably against Liverpool teams who are rampant and so they kind of understood that hey if we come out and play a little bit these guys are going to tear us to, to shreds however this is not one of those Liverpool teams this is a Liverpool team completely vulnerable to being pressed having trouble building out from the back and have vulnerabilities in the midfield and so Wolves kind of came out and played a little bit they came out and pressed us and we did have a few issues Building out from the back, like I said, Konate coming back and starting is a massive thing because I, I have said that I believe he's been our best centre-back this season. He hasn't played that much. However, him being in the team is very, very important um, in terms of stability. He's our second-best centre-back um, when everyone's at their best. And him being back there really, really helps with everything. He He was very good in his aerial duels for the most part from what I saw. And him next to Van Dyke, I think if, if those two can stay fit for the rest of the season, we will have a very good chance at at least going for top four. Um, like I said, trouble building out from the back. We didn't create too much in that first half. Um, I do want to note Fabinho, he swept up in front of the back four in the counter press in Wolves' half, a lot better. He won balls that uh, about a month ago he was not winning at all. And so he played reasonably well, and I'm happy about that. I did want to note that. We did start Bashetic and Harvey Elliott with him in the midfield, so that could have been a problem. It wasn't. Bashetic is still a midfield standout. He looks fantastic. The young lad, um, especially for an 18-year-old, uh, if uh, he, he obviously wouldn't have gotten a game last season or two seasons, three seasons ago when Liverpool were really, really challenging at the top, he wouldn't have gotten a game. But considering the form of guys like, I mean, Naby Keita, Henderson, Fabinho, etc., 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 Thiago not even uh, able to stay fit at this point, etc., etc., he's had that opportunity and he's really showing that, okay, hey, He's one for the future. He can really, really play well. Obviously, he will have a dip in form. He's a young player. This is what young players do. But he's been a standout probably since 2023 started. 
another young player who I'm I've I really really uh, defended from any uh, a lot of criticism. I think he's fantastic, Harvey Elliott. He had two good chances in the first half there to break the deadlock. He had the header. He missed it. I mean, he's a, he, he's he's he looks like a, a really pint-sized young man. Um, I don't expect him to really be handling headers like that. He's not Diogo Jota. He's not Sadio Mane. Um, I don't expect him to really score those kinds of goals. And he did have a really good half volley from, uh, I believe it was a deflection. If not, it came from Darwin Nunes. Um, and Jose Sa saved that really well. Really good, strong left hand there. Um, and we went into the half nil-nil. It was a little bit of a frustrating game because we weren't creating any clear-cut chances. But sometimes these sorts of games are like this. Um, Wolves did sort of start to recede. They, their press didn't They didn't maintain their press throughout the rest of the game. They pressed quite well in the first eh, 30, 25, 30 minutes. Uh, and then they sort of let Liverpool have the ball. They, re- they went back into their more regular pattern of play. And Liverpool forced to break break uh break down this wolves team eventually did start to we tried we tried it, it was an absolute slog but we tried um darwin nunez played really well him being back in the starting lineup great stuff especially going into this weekend um and Jota as well starting starting uh, the game he had a lot of energy he pressed he he's not all the way back up to up to his usual self from last season pre-April but he played a crucial part in both of these two next things so he had one fantastic dribble going right through from our half all the way to the box he he, he loses the ball he had a bit of a loose touch he did he admittedly foul a player there Don Nunes put the ball in the back of the net um, VRR had to come in and be like okay sweet no 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 that, that was actually a foul there and so we have to chalk off the goal but once Anfield felt that you kind of felt that okay there might be a goal in this there might be a Liverpool win who knows let's see what happens not too long after that we have a I believe it was a I don't it was a corner or a free kick or something of that nature. Van Dyke is up there. Van Dyke gets a header. He kind of scuffs the header. Saar makes the save. Diogo Jota crosses it back in. Van Dyke is like, my guy, give me the ball. I'm captain for the day. Let me lead you guys to three points. Puts the team on his back and boom. Next thing you know, ball's in the back of the net. Jota crosses it into the six-yard box. No one was going to stop Van Dijk from that close out. Anfield erupts at the cop end. He's our number four. He's Virgil van Dijk. My guy scores. I can't remember the last time he scored a goal, but he's one of those guys who, if, if we're having a good season, he's getting about four or five per season. Good to see him on the score sheet. Good to see him leading from the front, scoring us a goal to get us ahead in this game. Very soon after that, we have Chimikas and Cody Gakpo. Cody Gakpo comes on for Dior Jota, I believe. And he draws, he sucks in the defense there of Wolves. He plays a gorgeous little one-two, very Firmino-esque. Oshimekas, who, who he was a bit shaky in the first half, but he played a lot better in the second half. He 
plays a beautiful little one-two for Chimikas. Chimikas drives all the way into the box. He crosses it across the six-yard area. Salah's in there for 2-0. Game over. Three points. We managed to hold on to onto the clean sheet. A very valuable three points because that's a game in hand that we had over our potential top four rivals. It's within touching distance. It's with it's within this team to go on a run to reach that. We have a lot of very, very difficult uh fixtures coming up. None other than the biggest game in English football. The second biggest game in the world. I spoke about the biggest game on the planet earlier. That's El Clasico. But the second biggest game in the world of football, bar one, is Manchester United versus Liverpool. That is happening on Sunday. I am shitting myself because this United team is an absolute machine. They've won 30 games, 3-0. They've won 30 games in all competitions this season so far. They won... They came from behind against West Ham in the FA Cup. They progressed past the table-topping Barcelona team who for some reason can't get any results against big five league teams in Europe. Marcus Rashford is scoring like like there's no tomorrow. They just won a trophy and so they rock up to Anfield on Sunday. Liverpool, I want to say we're still in a fragile state Madrid completely embarrassed us. A lot of that was our own doing, like I said earlier in the episode, considering Madrid are not looking very good at all. However, it does not bode well for Liverpool, but this is also the exact type of game where the guys, the lads, the team can really lift themselves up and play on the same level, play to their potential at least for 90 minutes and really take the game to United and stun them. Exactly like how they stunned us in the first game at Old Trafford in this season where they they went up 2-0. Jadon Sancho scored that goal and it, it was a mess afterwards. We can do the exact same thing to them. Look for Darwin Nunes to have a big game. Look for Mohamed Salah, who loves a goal against United, to have a big game. And if those guys are fit and firing, Cody Gakpo comes in. Hopefully, Bashetic can handle business in the middle of the park there. Fabinho needs to have a good game. I'm pretty sure Henderson will probably start over Harvey Elliott for sure. If he can have a good game for at least 65 minutes... We've got a chance. Konate and Van Dijk are in there. Robertson will come back into the team. Trent had a decent game against Wolves. We could possibly get a result. I don't expect us to two. Uh, I'm predicting about a 1-1, one, 1-1 one, one draw. However, we have what we need to handle this game. Oh, Let's see what happens. And then after that, I believe in the next couple of weeks, we go to Arsenal. No, Arsenal comes to us. We go to Man City. We have a couple of tough, tough fixtures coming up. And if we can handle these, if we can pick up a decent number of points, maybe even potentially go unbeaten, maybe a draw here, a couple wins, I think we'll make top four. If not, and we get our asses handed to us over and over and over again over the next five-ish fixtures, season's probably going to be a write-off. Anyways, I am um, I'm always anxious about United coming coming to Anfield. I'm always anxious about playing Manchester United. I grew up in the Fergie era like many, many of us because that motherfucker was there for a very long time. And 
they continually time and time again got results against us whether it was a last minute winner from i believe it was gary neville at the cop end or was it vintage or it doesn't even matter or juan mata scoring fucking scissor kicks against us just just clean out of the blue when has he ever done that before in his life just scoring a scissor kick or martial with his uh completely false dawn uh geez the the number of united heartbreaks there's very many of them however this one might not need to be one of those we did absolutely tear them apart twice last season which was fantastic we hadn't lost to them in a couple years before the game earlier this season hopefully Klopp can rectify that um the lads will be up for the game hopefully by far the biggest game in any Liverpool or United season hopefully we'll get it done that ladies and gentlemen days and thems concludes the show before I go I do need to give out my player of the week the player of this past week is Casemiro this guy comes to United he completely changes the complexion of the team he's the exact midfielder that they've been crying out for since literally Carrick he comes along he scores the first goal in the league cup final he gets man united the the platform to win their first trophy in about six years eric ten Hag era has started off with a bang thanks to casemiro i hate it He's done Liverpool over a couple of times. He beat us in the Champions League final twice. But he's a, he's a phenomenal player. He keeps Fabinho out of the Brazil starting lineup. He's a phenomenal player. Absolute legend of the game. My player of the week is Casemiro. And now, ladies and gentlemen, days and thems, that's me done for today. I will be recording, obviously, for the United-Liverpool game. And until then, you guys have a magnificent day wherever you are in the world. Once this podcast reaches your ears and take care.